energy. Welcome to the Activated Authors Podcast, a show where we distill the core principles of what it takes to become a happy, healthy, and productive author, no matter what stage of the journey you're at. I'm your host, Daniel Wilcox. I'm an international best-selling author, as well as an author coach, speaker, and creative entrepreneur. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student of all things productivity, psychology, and human behavior. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Without further ado, let's dive in. What is up, Activators? Welcome to another episode of the Activated Authors Podcast. My name is Sam Frost, and today I am delighted to be turning the tables and interviewing your usual host, Daniel Wilcox. Say hi, Dan. Hi, Dan. (laughs) Of course. Daniel Wilcox is an international best-selling author and award-winning podcaster of dark fiction. He is an author coach, founder, and CEO of Activated Authors. One quarter of Digital Digital Storio Studio, we're just going to roll with it, Hawk and Cleaver, co-founder of iTunes-busting fiction podcast, The Other Stories, CEO of Horror Imprint Devil's Rock Publishing, and host of the Activated Authors podcast. Not today, bitches! Dan is mostly <laughs> passionate about creativity and productivity. He has written 60 plus books since 2015 for himself and on behalf of first writing clients. His mission in life is to activate creatives and authors to ensure they keep their creative flames and passions burning in a sustainable, positive and healthy way. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I'm not going to lie. It took more than one go and I still messed it up, but that's okay. We're going to roll two, with it. Two, two goes. Two goes. Don't 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 be so hard on yourself. That was that was a good effort. Thanks. (laughs) I mean, yeah. All right, sure. I'll take it. How are you today, please? And thank you, sir. And welcome. Welcome. Yeah, it's it's weird being on this side of the table. Um, not like in the sense of like I've been on podcasts and stuff before, but to be on the other side on your own podcast is a is a very strange feeling. Um yeah, I'm doing I'm doing right. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm just thinking, so this is the first time you've been on your own podcast. So is the oil painting next? What? that's that's commonly dictators will have ah yeah yeah missioned of themselves yeah the further ahead i go the the bigger my ego ego grows the more grandiose my my aims get until i work myself into my own little bubble of of indignity (laughs) amazing it's it's, that's that's the dream it's not the dream (laughs) also uh, your own bubble of indignity sounds like you need a thorough wash yeah, yeah, it's probably overdue. It's a very warm day in Britain at the minute. It is. I'm also Britain, and I'm also balmy. Yes, yes, yeah. it is warm. <laughs> <laughs> right now, obviously, like you say, you are usually the host of this here show. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are normally asking other people what their journey is. So I am going to flip the script. Uh, not again, because then you would be back to the host. But just for everybody listening, tell us about how you got here your creative journey, where you've been, maybe a holiday, go. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think it's 2017, I went to Cornwall. That was fun. Um, no, I don't know. It's 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 a, a long journey uh, <laughs> to go through. So I started writing properly in 2015. And by properly, I mean, that was the first time I kind of penned something substantial that I got to the end of and wrote the end um, and published that first book. But I I've always been interested in words. I've always been interested in English. Um, and I guess sort of, you know, writing for many people is, is the goal when it comes to, you know, loving reading, loving books, loving all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, but I kind of, I, I came into writing through a bit of a different path through editing and proofreading. And 
I essentially, when I came out of university back in 2012, um, was running my own free running and parkour business and going around the county and teaching and coaching and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that was what my intention was. That's what I wanted to do for the next 10, 20, 30 years, however long that, you know, I had the grace of, of my body to, to fuel me. Um, and that goal lasted about a year because I broke my wrist and things kind of got a bit difficult after that and um, many other reasons. But when I came out of teaching free running and, and doing all that stuff, I was looking at you know what the opportunities are to do something with the degree that I had. And I did my degree in English and drama. And um, I was like, okay, how can I use English to propel me forward? Because I really, I really enjoyed weirdly uh, in in my final year of the drama side of things I wrote a stage play that did pretty well for itself um, and got put forward well I got put forward as a writer for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival but unfortunately couldn't make it because of finances you know poor student um, no. yeah and uh, the the thing I really liked about that process was you had to be very very meticulous with the actual proofreading and grammar of what the stage play needed to look like so mm -hmm. I found it really really therapeutic sitting there being like there should be a full stop here and actually there's too many spaces and you know the name needs to be there and all the different formatting um and so at the time uh my my partner at the time her mum ran her own editing business and kind of took me under her wing and helped me find work as an editor as a proofreader um I got involved in the society for editors and proofreaders which it was at the time it's not anymore I'm not sure what it is now um it's a, it's a totally different name but it's like the UK kind of like body to regulate and help editors and proofreaders and I did a lot of non-fiction academic journals for different clients for a couple of years uh and then just got very interested in the publication side of stuff mm -hmm. so I secured myself an internship working in the publications team for the University of Lincoln and did that for a year um, working on prospectuses and magazines and writing copy and proofreading and photos and design and kind of just seeing all the behind the scenes stuff, which was really, really exciting. Um, and it was around that time, uh, was it, it wasn't long after that, that um, me and again, my partner at the time um, fell pregnant. My son was on the way and I, the internship ended and I was kind of like, okay, what can I do from here? This is a very, very long roundabout way of answering your question. Um, but I, I then, Ran my own business for two years i secured some funding to start my own editing business properly mm -hmm. did that kind of stumbled across kdp kindle direct publishing which is kind of for people who haven't quite got there yet it's where you go to put up your book on amazon and get that published and figured you know I, I wrote a stage play let's see if i can put this on amazon just out of my own curiosity i didn't care if it sold i just wanted my book on the shelf um which that experiment went well i got it up like the, the book came out well and you know the formatting everything looked good um, because I was very determined at that point. I knew I understood the importance of making a book look like a book. Mm -hmm. And I had come across a few self-published books at the time that were just poorly formatted. And you open them and immediately you have no confidence in the content because what you expect isn't there. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I, I did that once with a stage play. And then I was gifted a book of short stories for a Secret Santa present. Read some short stories and was like, I really want to write a short story. That turned into a novella. I published that novella again, put it up just to have it on my shelf. And that book went to number one over uh, Halloween of 2015 in the horror charts. Yeah, it did. Um, and it's kind of been a journey from there. Like there, there's so many things to sprinkle in because as I say, I never started with the intention of being a writer and selling books. Mm. Um, I started with the intention of just wanting to publish something to put on my shelf. And over the years, what I've done a lot of is networked with authors, worked with other authors, collaborated on books, really try to understand the process of 
publishing um and then in 2019 managed to get myself full-time as a as an author went into uh writing my own books ghost writing as well uh, and writing a lot for other clients um and then as of 2020 then sort of started stumbling into coaching authors so i guess you can kind of see the coaching trajectory from parkour and you know the elements as i go through life and that kind of circus circles itself background but yeah there are lots of you know um milestones along the way but probably too many to to get into in the intro. <laughs> <laughs> well what i am actually really interested in um because you are not a stranger shall we say this is not your first rodeo being interviewed on a podcast so i imagine that you get quite used to kind of delivering a synopsis of your life essentially um and it always seems to start not that I've listened to any of your interviews because like, <laughs> some of us have lives um oh, some of us don't but it always seems to start around 2015 so I'm mm. interested let's go back like back back not mm-hmm. womb back but further back when was kind of your first bite of creativity when was the first time that you can remember whether it's writing or I don't know making a sandcastle or whatever it was where you did something and you kind of went huh hmm I guess the earliest example of anything sort of creative I think is just reading um I I'm the middle child between an older brother and a younger sister um obviously listeners who uh listen to the show know my younger sister has been on this and is doing awesome things but my like my brother was kind of um an example for me in a lot of ways and not in many other ways but uh he he wasn't I don't think he's read a book to this day but I was the kid in the family that would just seek out books and and read books and just Mm. just enjoy the story and obviously you know I wonder I do wonder if that'd be different growing up these days when obviously there's so many more digital distractions like it's kind of easy to forget that you know back then that wasn't an option like you had to fill the time with other things like music yeah. or, or whatever it was um and I did I, I I really enjoyed reading from from quite a young age there was um, a book called Mr Meadows Mischief which mm. I read cover to get other um many many times the famous five uh sort of going sort of into early books um and then as I got older I just found myself very interested in sort of fancy like I remember um one of my dad's friends who used to like to brag that he was a member of Mensa. <laughs> that's, that's probably not. one of the things I remember of him. Uh lent me The Hobbit and I read through that and loved that and then lent me The Lord of the Rings and that was much more of a struggle compared to The Hobbit at the time. Yeah. Um 1007 pages plus appendices. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he also gave me uh, Terry Pratchett's um Color of Magic which mm-hmm. I was way too young for it at the time. I think like it took me a few attempts to read that. Like it's a fantastic book, but God, is it dense. Yeah. Um, and so like I, I read a lot and I also just enjoyed drawing just mm. as a, a therapeutic thing. I have a memory of, of me sitting on, on my stomach on the carpet in front of the TV while my mum's watching something and drawing an elephant on a piece of paper. And the main memory is number well, two very, very vivid parts of that memory. Number one, the smell of the paper. Mm-hmm. Like, the smell of paper just takes me back to that moment now. But also the effort of trying to draw a picture on paper on carpet without any backing. Yeah, that was, um, I know you were a child, but that was that was a rookie error. Why? Yeah, I, I don't know. Don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know why an elephant. I don't know why then, but I think I probably was about maybe five or six. It's a very, very blurry memory. Um, and then I, 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 I don't know. I've always kind of flexed without realising the creative muscle. So I've always 
paid attention to words. I've always been interested in poetry. Um, and then I have a memory of being probably about maybe seven or eight and sitting at the dining room on my dad's laptop, trying to pen a novel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was, I don't know, I don't even know why. I have no idea where it came from, but it was just a blank words page. And obviously, you know, you're looking at like Windows 95, 96 at this point, wherever it was. Oh, yeah. Um, the golden age. The golden era of computing. <laughs> and something like, I remember writing a few lines, something about a dwarf and then going like, oh, screw this, this is too hard and just scrapping the whole lot and walking away. But yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and kind of from there, I went into, uh, when I was 11, I asked for a keyboard for Christmas and then I taught myself how to play piano, mm. um, as is the next logical step from that. I bought the kind of teach yourself books. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I got a guitar when I was 14. Like, I won't delve too deeply into the story, but I was essentially given it by an ex after we broke up, which as a 14, 15-year-old makes no sense. Right. Hold on. Just pause a second. So you've broken up. Yes. What was the time? Not on good terms. Oh, even better. Okay. Uh So what was the time period between you breaking up and you receiving this guitar? About four weeks. Okay, so maybe it was a like an attempt at reconciliation. Potentially, I don't. I don't profess to understand the <laughs> motives at the time. <laughs> it was a very interesting period. Um, but yeah, so I was bequeathed a guitar. Which, no, you weren't. Uh, <laughs> she didn't die. She didn't die, right? So I was, I was given a guitar. Um, <laughs> no, she's fine. She's fine. Um, and yeah, I, I, I taught myself how to play that and I say when I say taught myself I had sort of like friends who played the instrument that taught me odd bits here and there but there was something I don't know what it is there's, there's something that I just really enjoy about the learning process about you know looking at something step by step and just going I'm going to try this um and it's kind of a, like continued over the years I taught myself how to juggle I taught myself how to um play with diablos like the yo-yos on the sticks yeah, yeah, um yeah. at one point oh. I taught myself how to solve rubik's cubes and I've lost that ability so I'm trying to relearn it now oh, yeah. um, well pictures or it didn't happen we can all <laughs> say at one point we taught ourselves how to do the rubik's cube but conveniently I can't remember anymore just for people on the podcast I'm reaching into my pocket and as we talk I'm going to do my best to try and solve this or at least get to where I get stuck on because there's like the last bit that I get stuck on um but yeah so I have just the sound effects for the podcast as well oh I love that sound but yeah so um (laughs) riveting this is this is a first for the Activated Authors podcast I feel like Will Smith in a that film that he did the, pod, the Rubik's Cube in. Yeah, 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 that, that one film. Pursuit of Happiness, there we go. Uh, probably shouldn't delve too deeply into that. Um, no. but, but yeah, so there's always been, there's always been something, I just, I just, I enjoy different things and I enjoy learning. And interestingly, like that's not something that I realised until I was older because there was always that part of being a kid where learning is, um, because it's the thing you have to do. It's not cool. You don't it? see the value in it. No. And I, yeah, I was a weird kid. Like I was massively into Frank Sinatra. Um, I was massively into Elton John. And so like, I listened to a lot of piano music. Um, I really liked, um, I'm trying to think it was. Just, just the people that I kind of idolized. I don't think were the typical people you idolize. Like it was yeah. Chandler Bing was one of my big, biggest idols. <laughs> Not Matthew Perry, Chandler Bing specifically. Um, Damon Wayans from, um, my wife the, and kids. My wife and kids. Mm-hmm. 
these are all the people that I I followed that I I loved because they were I I don't I don't, don't know those I think because and <laughs> again it's a thing I got to be careful to delve into because he's not this anymore but like um, me and my brother had a very rocky relationship growing up and mm. I think seeing that example of things I very much wanted to veer away mm. from that and so I definitely looked to the the kinder more inspirational side of life of of the people that you know were. Uh, trying to better themselves without harming other people mm-hmm. <laughs> as, as a bit of an example so yeah it's um like there's lots of examples of where creativity has kind of sprung from it's just been like I, I we had the option of picking two different subjects at school um when you got to sort of year 10 and 11 which for people over in the US you're about 15 16 then yeah um and I was desperate to do music and drama. Like I wanted to do two creative art subjects and I had to really convince my parents because they wanted me to do something more quote academic. Um, even though I was sort of doing very well in English, maths and sciences and stuff. Yeah. Um, and somehow I convinced them to let me do those, those two subjects. And just, there's something, there's something so freeing around surrounding yourself with artists mm-hmm. um, and just seeing, like, I think with a lot of academic subjects, and I don't mean to stereotype and I'm not like trying to um, insult anyone because um, like, there's obviously individuality in all different things, but there was, there was always that sense of like in those subjects, you had to fit the mold to understand the knowledge. Whereas the expressiveness of art and the possibilities are so much wider. And in a way, there's nothing you can really do wrong. Um, Yeah. And so I, I, I was drawn to that. And then um, kind of the journey continued from there. But like I say, there's, you know, examples of like, I, I was published at, 12 but then there were a lot of kids in my school in a in like a, a local poetry school book um do you still have that book can you do as a reading i do have that book i will not do a reading well it's worth a shot <laughs> it's okay. about a tv and it makes no sense. <laughs> of course it's about a tv why wouldn't it be i don't know not um but yeah yeah lots of lots of examples well i have getting pressure on this rubric steve now what have i done yeah, and so and rightly, rightly so, rightly so. You should feel pressure because you put it on yourself. You already said that. Anyway, moving on. Um, a couple of things you said there that I'd like to kind of dive into a little bit, if you will permit me. Um, you were saying that the the people that you kind of in were inspired by the people that you looked up to were not kind of your you know typical people that most twelve year olds at the time would like look at and go wow they're amazing but on hearing you list them out what I would argue is that they were all very like uniquely themselves they were all forging their own path and they're all masters of their craft I just wondered maybe is there something in that do you think like was do you think there's some that you've taken moving forward in your life any of kind of that as inspiration for where you want to head and I I don't mean do you want to put on uh, a unitard and do a Frank Sinatra impression I was I was mixing um yeah I was gonna say I've not seen that performance (laughs) I'm I'm mixing Elton John and and, you know but I just wondered if that's kind of any inspiration for you in that way um well I mean before I answer that this is as far as I get with the Rubik's Cube so it's mostly done bar a top level that I just I need to remind right. myself on right I just for people that are listening and not watching okay he says it's mostly done two sides are done now 
I'm very aware that there is a technique and a craft to Rubik's Cubes that you can apparently learn. Dan apparently learned this one. It's just this top level. That's all I need to do. And I can't figure it. Well, remember the, the algorithm. <laughs> Got your journalism at its finest. You can't figure it. No. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Moving on. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, very, 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 very potentially. I think it was a lot of the time it was the people who, yeah, excelled, excelled in what they did, but also, well, on the surface at least, happy and upbeat and, and provided mm -hmm. sort of free and, yeah, provided joy and energy to other people because, as we all know, like, growing up is hard and, yeah. and there's, there's so many things we don't understand. There's so many sort of influences that could take us in any direction depending on, you know, what happens at what time. Mm -hmm. And these were people I saw who, they were, just, they were just doing amazing things. And I think it's weird because me and my brother, very, very different people. Me and my sister are very, very different people, raised from the same parents. Mm. In Me and my brother are a lot more in the same sort of circumstances. We moved around a lot sort of later in life. Um, but yeah, it's, I think... I've always wondered what the limits of my potential could be mm -hmm. and seeing these people do incredible things. Like I think even early on without consciously knowing it, I understood that you have to start somewhere um, and having a passion, having a genuine joy for the thing <laughs> is enough to get you started. So I remember when I got my keyboard again, sort of it was, Christmas 2002 um I was sat next to my late great nan and she taught me just like a very quick riff on the keyboard and then I discovered that you can watch like it showed you what notes it was playing and it had the Beatles let it be um mm. and I sat there for days um not like I, I slept in other stuff but I'd returned to the <laughs> keyboard over a succession of you know, days and after a couple of weeks, I could play Let It Be on the piano, sort of both hands, sort of very, you know, you've got the bass and the melody and like, not sort of like um, a simplified version, but the full version. Um, and even to this day, like I remember great chunks of it because it's just now ingrained in my muscle memory. Mm. But like, there was no rhyme or reason as as to why I was doing it. I just, you know, you, <laughs> I watched a lot of, again, as you do when you're 11, I watched a lot of Elton John performing in, um, he did like a concert in the, uh, one of the Greek Colosseums, sort of open top, gorgeous, gorgeous venue. And what I found amazing was you listen to his album and I had the best of, I think it was called, I think it was the Rocket Man best of album. Mm. Um, or it might just been Greatest Hits. But you you listen to that and you obviously get an example of what that music is and it's gorgeous and it's beautiful and it's clean and it's precise and everything else. And then you watch him perform those songs in a concert and even through the screen, there's an electricity and people are like up on their feet and he improvs just solos mm -hmm. in the middle of it because he's a phenomenal pianist. Well done. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> always be very, very careful. Very different um, story. Yes. <laughs> but just, it, it was just, it was just astounding. And, and to kind of go like, there was always that question of how do I do that? Yeah. There was never a question of I can't because of X, Y, Z. And I think where I was trying to get to um, earlier with the, the sort of the brother and sister in comparison and stuff is like, my parents were encouraging. They were, you know, they provided a very um, 
what I'd argue quite an easy upbringing, essentially. Like we, we didn't have to sort of worry about too much stuff. Um, and yeah, my mum is loving, my dad was supportive and, and there, but like, I was never pushed in a direction. I was never um, kind of whipped and, and made someone's like, no one lived vicariously through me. It was kind yes. of, it was all of my own, of my, my own making. Um, and I, I honestly don't know what that inception was of kind of internal belief in stuff. I think, you know, as, as life goes on, you, you confirm more of what you believe confirmation bias through the things that you see. Um, I've seen a lot of people start in one thing, go into another thing. They never thought they were going to be, that was possible as I've gone through my journey. I've gone from wanting to be one thing to going into another and along the way, what I've gathered are a set of transferable skills that I feel confident enough that I can take into lots of different industries. So, you know, it's a weird journey to go from parkour instructor into an author. Mm. Um, at the same time, like in that time, I also was um, my ex-partner's maternity cover teaching kids how to play music in a school. So there are lots of different um, just areas where I've kind of looked into stuff. And what I found, another thing that I found as well is like, no matter what you step into, there's a set of, I guess, universal expectations that people believe to be true that are just mm-hmm. absolutely shattered the minute you step into that arena and go, huh. So um, I was talking to a friend the other day about the fact that, you know, I went to university and there was so much weight placed on how important a degree is going to be in your life. Mm. I have had many, many jobs since <laughs> leaving university and not once has anyone ever asked to see proof of my degree. So I am quite confident. I won't do it because I'm, I'm too honest, but I'm quite confident that I could apply for a job and say that I received a first in, I don't know, Latin or shoemaking. And I would be able to use that to get into a job because no one checks. As long as it's, as long as you don't go for like a surgeon's position. Yeah, no, not, not twice. <laughs> Didn't, it didn't end well last time. <laughs> oh to one. So you're talking um, a lot about lots of different careers, jobs. Talk talk me through a few of your um, your jobs that you've you've had in the past and how the skills that you like. What skills have you picked up from your many different careers? For the sounds of it. Oh, this is a job interview. Yeah. <laughs> Why um, do you want to be the the, the host of the Activate Dolphins podcast? Can. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, so my first my first job, I was thirteen, uh, paper round, as is somewhat standard for for Brits. I don't know what it's like for the rest of the world, but um, I don't know why. I was just I was really excited to to work and earn money again. Like I don't know where that came from. It was just. Mm. I guess the, the freedom, the, um, it's a reoccurring the theme. yeah. Um, but yeah, I was 13. I, I would get up at six o'clock every morning. Um, it was a really easy paper round. It was 13 papers. Like I'd go and collect oh my them. God. 13 papers. And I got eight pound 50 a week. You had it set. Oh my God. At 14. Was he Rockefeller? That's, that's, I mean, seven days work for eight fifty. <laughs> the money was 13 papers like yeah but it was still like 35 minutes of my time a day (laughs) so I was vastly underpaid but so I did that um for a few years and like (laughs) 
<laughs> I've got to be careful here because this this interview is just going to be a whole slander on my brother. I love him. He's an amazing person now. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I did that for a few years, earning 8.50, just getting up early because I, I, I was an early riser as a kid. And then uh, when I was 15, I had the opportunity to take over going in earlier in the morning and preparing the other paper Ooh. guys round. So I would go in, I'd do that and I started making £30 a week. I was like, oh, okay, this is a bit better. Mm. Um, was it? Yeah, it was about thirty pound a week. And then at the same time, we did work experience at school, and I uh, work experienced in a an estate agents for a month. Um, side note: at one point, I got some water in a kettle, boiled it, short circuited the entire office for two hours. Um, but for some reason, they they kept me on, gave me a job. Go on. <laughs> I'm so sorry to interrupt. <laughs> Number one. You did work experience for a month. Mm-hmm. We only did two weeks. Secondly, I also been two weeks. I also had um, work experience in estate agents, and I also, <laughs> I'm not lying, had an incident with a kettle. But my hey, incident was, I vibes. <laughs> <laughs> my incident was, I made everybody tea, and then fell down the stairs with the tray of boiling hot tea and the teapot kettle, and just completely covered myself in scalding water and tea. And I can still remember exactly what I was wearing. It was a blue, like weird ass material shirt and also a strange material skirt. I was trying to be grown up and I went, I'll serve a tip down them stairs. That's not what you want. No, no, it wasn't. You're quite right. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to interrupt. Please continue. Estate agents for a suspiciously long amount of time. No, it might have been two weeks. Um, But yeah, they they kept me on afterwards. I'd go in for one afternoon a week and also did as fires for them. So like at 15, I was earning, I think it was £50 a week, which was very, very nice at at that Mm. time. Um, But I only did that for a few months before kind of going, this is quite a lot for a 15-year-old. But I mean, in terms of that, like I I learned very early on just to get up and do the job Mm -hmm. because that's what you do to to earn money. You You have to turn up, you have to present yourself, you have to be there. Um, and also just know what the limits of your job are like it was it was it was a, a, such an easy job you just get up walk around deliver a few papers at Christmas you get a few nice tips and and that was great um, and then I'm trying to think where I went from there I went I, I temped at Toys R Us uh, over Christmas and what I learned from that was that I respected the customers too much to live by their ethos and what I believed was going to be one of the happiest jobs of my life because it's Toys R Us um, was arguably the most miserable yeah. because of um, the fact that they were very, very, because it was over the Christmas period, they were very pushy in you approaching everyone and trying to like draw the sale. And knowing who I am as a, a shopper, like I like to go in and just look at stuff, like leave me alone until I want to talk to you. Yeah. Um, like it makes me uncomfortable. I'm going to be careful of like how I talk about some of these businesses, but there's a. a Sorry, toys, toys are also defunct now. I know, but there's a video game store that is quite uh, big in the UK and their ethos is the minute you walk in, hello, can I help you with anything? And I'm like, yeah, just let me have a moment. Um, so I think at that point I started going, like putting myself in the shoes of the customer mm. and going, because I, I found it really difficult to draw sales because I was like, you know, do you need anything? And they were like, no. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like yeah. lead me to it. Um, I worked at Woolworths for a while and again, just learned, you know, you just, especially in, in, in those sort of jobs, you just, you get on with the job, you do what you need to, like, there's no needs to extend beyond the boundaries of what you're asked to do because your job is to 
do whatever it is the manager needs you to do to run the store. Like you mm-hmm. are essentially a minion. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I'm trying to think where I went from there. Like I worked in a lot of bars um, and found myself going, I, I started off working at the counter serving people. And then what I realized was I really enjoyed collecting glasses and just washing the glasses because it was a really mindless task mm-hmm. for me. Um, anyhow so like rather than being very very engaged in serving people because I was at university at the time and I was doing a lot in the daytime I'd then ask for that job which no one wanted to do but I was very eager to be like I'll do it because it allowed me to switch off and in that time it really like helped my mind to think and to process and to Mm. um just think ahead to the next day and just you know switch off and the shifts will go quicker because not dealing with you know drunk people um but I mean in terms of actual transferable skills you know you've got working with people you've got watching like the management structures and the leaderships and understanding how they work communication is huge like customer service um because you learn very very quickly that number one the customer i i don't fully believe in this saying but i get where it comes from the customer is always right um until they're wrong um but also the importance of setting expectations and delivering on expectations the whole idea of uh, under promise and over deliver Mm-hmm. is always going to get you in much better position than telling someone you need in the world and then just falling short because people will believe what it is that you tell them to do. And if they're happy to accept like the less of you and then you give them more, like yeah. they're just going to be delighted the whole time and surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, handling money, arithmetic, <laughs> like so many transferable skills. But I think the, the, the key part of all of that is it really gave me an insight into people, mm. um, different types of people, especially, you know, go from, uh, I worked in a DIY store at college, so a lot of the clientele was older, um, particularly older gentlemen. Um, and then sometimes older ladies would come in and I kind of like help them and, and just talk to them and they would love to tell you about their day. Um, drunken teenagers worked mm. with them. Um, I worked in sort of the more corporate office at university and got the landscape of that. So I've I've been around a lot of different people and I've seen a lot of different ways that people live. And it's that kind of experience that I try to bring to activated authors in I'm trying to understand where people are in their journey, in their life, um, so that you can, you know, empathize and draw out what they're after while still encompassing what their life is, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And you just touched on activated authors there, and that's actually where I was going to go next. There is a method to my madness. Although I would just like to say, because I feel that if this is someone's first experience um, hearing you talk about your past jobs, I do feel like you missed out the best one. Oh, I was a chlamydia screening assistant. There we go. Six years. Yeah. yeah. He didn't do that. You didn't do the screenings, right? They were self-administered. No. no. So that's, I mean, to be fair, that was probably one of my favorite jobs. Um, I, I was 18. I was a few months into uni um, and the pay was very, very good. But like the important part of that is I, I used to stand out in the street in nightclubs at fates and bazaars and just offer chlamydia tests to people in exchange for like free pants and key rings and things. Um, and one of the things I loved about that job was you really get over yourself and your fears of approaching people um, because you have to for, for the job, like you have to approach people and try and you know draw them in. And again, not, not in that sort of sleazy way that you get with some marketers. We're not asking for money here. We're just off. We're just providing a service. Um, and at the time in, <laughs> in Lincolnshire, uh, it was sort of, I think the chlamydia, chlamydia rate was like one in nine people had I mean, chlamydia. 
that tracks. I did. I grew up in northeast Lincolnshire, and quite yeah. frankly, that's that's dramatically lower than I expected it to be. Yeah, well, it depends <laughs> if you go to the city versus the more rural areas. Yeah. Um, but in the time that I was there, it went from one in nine to I think one in sixteen, which is you know a fantastic effort by by that company, um, Terence Higgins Trust, because um, they still do a lot of work with providing services for those suffering from HIV/AIDS. That's kind of where oh, that amazing. charity sprang from. Um, and yeah, like you know, when you learn to approach random people in a bar and talk about sexual health yeah that kind of takes down the barrier of a lot of conversations you're scared <laughs> of having um and over over time you you get to have fun with it and what i found interesting was you stand in the street and actually it's the people that you think aren't going to get into a conversation with you mm. are the people that will and the people that like you think are approachable and friendly will often sort of shoulder you off um so yeah that was that was a real fun job just i i kind of went from team member to team leader in that and as I say, it was, you, you just talk to a lot of people, you share stories and you get to know a bit more of what is essentially like the taboo, I guess, side of life that a lot of people don't talk about. Yeah. So you start writing properly in 2015. Mm-hmm. You go full time in 2019. Which is quite frankly the perfect time because then you go into the easiest few years anyone's ever had. <laughs> Nothing happened in 2020. <laughs> no, literally nothing happened. That was the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you find yourself going from corporate job to where I assume you are used to being surrounded by people, mm-hmm. for better or for worse. Um, and now you're basically in lockdown. And it's not like... It's kind of like... Um, having a snow day when you live next to the school you get no benefit from it you still have to go in because you live right next door so you're working for yourself now and you can't go out how did that affect um your productivity my productivity went through the roof Mm. (laughs) there was nothing else to do um yeah no it it was it was a strange few years for for other reasons as well but like yes i went full-time april 2019 and yeah it was march 2020 that everything locked down um i i moved into my own house around december of 2019 as well um so i was getting used to living on my own at a point in which you had to learn to 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 isolate yourself Mm. and so it wasn't it really wasn't an easy period at all but i think what helped was that because a lot of stuff around that time for me personally was quite new and exciting is definitely the wrong word but there was a lot more potential and freedom um Mm -hmm. that I had I definitely had that sort of extra wind of okay what can I do with this time and then when the pandemic was announced and everything you know locked down um it it really was no other word I guess than, than than turbulent I wrote a lot like I did my best to stick to some kind of schedule um I had to share care of my son around that time and do homeschooling as well so if anything on the weeks I had him I'd be getting up early to do my work as much as I could before uh sort of doing stuff with him and spending the day with him and then I'd do stuff in the evenings and then the time off that I had like I could sit and I could watch tv I could go for a walk I could do all those things I did all those things but um I I ended up writing about 26 books um that year um a varying length I will add that because 
Oh, I mean, yeah, that is a, yeah, please yeah. do a varying length. Jesus. A varying, like, yeah, some some 20K, a few 80Ks, like, uh, but but it was that, was, that was what I had. And I, because, you know, when you run your own business, you are responsible for your income and for trudging on and doing all the things. I I did all the things. And I also found... <laughs> all of them. You completed all the things. things. Yeah. Um, and I also found around that year as well I kind of got into the groove of writing non-fiction as well so I was able to Mm -hmm. write fiction in the morning then non-fiction in the afternoon um and kind of just find the joy in writing so yeah my my productivity went through the roof um I wouldn't go through it again thank you um Mm. (laughs) but I did I did my best during that time to keep in touch with family like obviously the 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 zoom calls and (laughs) like the obligatory zoom calls Mm -hmm. um I, I went out for lots of walks with my son because luckily my house backed onto a forest. So you can kind just, of be... just disclaimer, just one walk a day though. Just yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Um because I like I said, I backed onto a forest. So yeah. you, you weren't likely to bump into anyone because it wasn't like um a commercialized <laughs> forest. It was it was quite a, a virgin forest with a bit of a, a trail for it. And so did a lot of that, but yeah, it was it was definitely a trialing year and one that I have learned a lot from. Yeah. And on that, so you wrote 26 plus books casually and um, not casually, I imagine. And at the beginning of the year, I imagine you would have had some kind of like if I'd have asked you at the beginning of 2020 before we knew the pandemic was like looming at us what your idea of like productivity was. I imagine that that had shifted somewhat by the end of 2020. Am I presuming or do you think that stayed consistent? 2020 is very much a blur for me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, those 26 books that you wrote. Yeah. Yeah. As, yeah, as I kind of allude to that, I won't dive into too much. It was like big personal shifts in that time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to kind of, go through but I mean yeah because I think mostly I learned what my capacity was yes and I learned like I don't necessarily feel like I hit a ceiling I feel like you know if I wanted to I could have done more I didn't want to um (laughs) (laughs) believe me like there are other things you want to do um but yeah it, it definitely set a bar um and with it being such a blur and I think lots of people found this in the pandemic like time Mm -hmm. really did stretch and shrink and accordion and like one minute a week had passed next minute was three hours like it's really difficult to keep a track on on what was going on um and so all I can say for that period is I know how far I can go if I push myself Mm. I don't want to have to do that (laughs) yeah And that's kind of, I think that's kind of what I'm trying to um, head towards, really, because not only did you write 26 books, but you thought, you know what, that's not quite enough for me. So I'm also going to start a podcast. Yep. Next level office with Sasha Black. Yeah. And then towards the end of the year, you thought this isn't enough for me. Why don't I, I don't know, coach a group of authors through NaNoWriMo Bootcamp. Mm -hmm. So what... (laughs) What was going through your head when you were like, I think I would like to bring in a group of authors and help them 
write 50,000 words because we all know that that's difficult. Well, 26 books over here, maybe not. But uh, so um, what, what was that process like? If you can remember, you have just said it was a blur. No, I mean, to be fair, I've gone back recently and re-listened to the Next Level Authors podcast episode from around that time, just because that was like it was a real pivotal year in the sense of my mindset and returning back to working with other people um, mm. because I worked in my previous job for five years being surrounded by people, being surrounded by a team. Um, I had lots of personal stuff going on in the background um, in which like, I, I really didn't ever have time to myself unless it was like an hour that I forced myself to have in the morning. And so when I went full time, a lot of my intention was just to write books and just to, you know, live the author life, like the nomad, the nomadic author life, sort of go cafe hop, work on books, hang up the laptop at the end of the day and, and just, just carry on. Um, and then I think because of the pandemic, it got to that point where I realized that, you know, community and social life mean something and being surrounded by other people and knowing other people are out there um is a very vital part of just life itself like we we humans are social creatures that's that's how we're raised that's you know what we were to begin with that's what we are now um it's very very difficult to live in isolation and you know there are many 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 um studies that prove that actually if you live alone if you isolate yourself your life expectancy will be vastly decreased as opposed to those people who are like surrounded by people wow just, waiters slap me across the face while i'm doing your job for you you birthed your own person oh, <laughs> you're not alone <laughs> oh that's true i'm never alone <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean so the point being that you know i, I became very aware of in a pandemic because I, I i hadn't planned to spend most of my 2020 alone like no? i had plans for parties i had like always all these plans i had to cancel um and so i was like you know what i I've spent the last few years in the writing community watching, you know, people help writers. I've got experience in coaching. Like mm. I'm confident that I'm productive enough that I can help get people through nano. And so I, I launched it and it was a real, it was a real turning point for me because it was kind of that re-entry back into um, working around other people again. Yeah. And, you know, you were part of that bootcamp, like you can attest to, there was something um magic about that first boot yeah, camp like was. the people that were involved just the attitude the fun like just the tempo everything just came together um which is a rare thing to see and I from then on kind of fell into helping other writers because everyone basically demanded that it continue yes I was one of those people I remember demanding uh-huh. yeah yeah but yeah the that's kind of like I guess the biggest mind shift towards the end of 2020 was going, okay, I've got two choices here. I can either carry on by myself writing lots and lots and lots of stuff, or I can try to give some of this back to the author community and also, you know, meet other writers and help other writers and give people the hand that I had from other people when I was, you know, a fledgling writer and and trying to make it. Yeah. So we're going to fast forward a little bit. Activated authors. That is basically born from the boot camp right yes. like the boot camp is born from the pandemic <laughs> everything's born from everything oh um, my god <laughs> <laughs> cycle of destruction yeah um so what about activated authors because i still remember us having the conversation you were mm. very excited about it and we, we were kind of you know 
to, uh, we were going back and forth. You were throwing ideas at me and I was saying, yes, good idea. Um, <laughs> what was it from like the inception of bootcamp and the lessons that you learned from 2020 about kind of community, about being surrounded by not just people, but the right people about, um, did I say productivity? Possibly. Um, what have you learned from all of those and how have you crafted that into what is now Activated Authors? Oh, there's a lot to this. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll be fully transparent because obviously there, there are two, two essential like, big arms of this. Number one is um, community is huge. I'm not just saying that as someone who runs community. The reason I started the community is because I, I genuinely really see the benefits of it. And, you know, yeah. we saw it in Nano. Um, mm. I've been part of communities as I've gone through my author journey. Um, there's something, and Renee kind of touched on it in last week's interview, um, there's something magic about being surrounded by the people who are doing the thing that you want to do. Like mm. very few people, friends and family in my life understand what writing is. Like I had a conversation with a friend recently um, and it was like, oh, how's, how's the work going? And I was like, well, yeah, good. Like um, I'm doing this. And then, you know, I've, I've got a virtual assistant yourself to uh, help with a lot of stuff behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and his response was, what, are you really that busy? Like, <laughs> yes. I'm, it's not just writing. I'm, I'm growing a business here. Um, and I've had conversations with people who still think that, you know, my time is entirely flexible, that I just write whenever I want, get up, just yeah. tap the keyboard for a bit and then go to bed. And, and, and that's not it. So being around people who understand the struggles of what the creative life is, and particularly a lot of the people in our community are self-published or self-publishing authors yeah. although we have people seeking traditional as well um but just understanding that real need and drive to create worlds to create fiction to put stuff out there mm. um and particularly with the live writing sprints we do it's just that chance to check in with people to hold a point of accountability where you know that even so something i discovered which i didn't understand stuff but it just makes total sense the more i think about it is that sometimes you need permission to claim your own time. Yes, you do. So if you're in a relationship, um, it's sometimes difficult to go, I'm off for an hour to, to write some words. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, why don't you spend time with me? Why don't we do this or whatever? Um, and Activate Authors actually provides a, like not even an excuse, but like a reason to be going, because yeah. it's like, this happens at this time. This is I the thing I'm committed to. And it adds a certain amount of gravitas to the people sometimes you're trying to convince to you know let you have the time that you want to do the thing that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's lots of, stuff in that that we can go into but we probably won't uh, have the time in this one so i mean yeah just generally community being surrounded by the people you know um i learned quite early on uh, you are the product of the five people you spend the most time with mm-hmm. so you know i include people like youtubers and podcast hosts and people that i read in that because if i'm at one point uh, tim ferris was one of my people because i just listened to him non-stop and went through so much of his back catalog um but you find yourself absorbing the energy of those around you so if you're surrounded by authors who are going for it, who are activated. The point of activated authors, I'm not just trying to make a plug there. Um, <laughs> but the, the real heart of activated authors is these people are committed to their writing. They are people that are putting in the work day after day, like some are slower, some are faster, varying different levels of success. The thing that unites us all is that we are writers and we're here together. And there's something really powerful in that. And, you know, when you get feedback from people saying my productivity has tripled in the month since I've joined mm. activated authors, you just mm-hmm. go, yes, this is what it's for. Um, and so providing that as a platform, then also like, let's be really transparent here at the same time. Writing is a very 
use that word again, turbulent um, business to be in, especially if you're trying to make your money from fiction. So, you know, every month your royalties are going to go up, they're going to go down. Like the market dictates a lot of what's going on. You have to put a lot of your time and energy into advertising your books, which, you know, authors do. Um, and part of the reason for activated authors as well, like on my side, is that it really helps me build a stable foundation from which I can then spring off and do the rest. So mm-hmm. I have the confirmation to know that I'm helping authors in the way that I know how. Um, everything that I've done with activated authors has been with my limits in mind and capitalizing on my strengths and really trying to build systems that minimize the friction in helping deliver the value that I want to deliver. Yes. And hopefully I argue that I over deliver in the community as much as I can. Um, But as more people pour into activated authors, that sort of raft for me grows. And then I have more capacity to run off and do other things to help authors. So Mm -hmm. um, there is that side of it as well, in which, you know, I've, I've built, a system very very specifically for my situation that will allow me to feed my own creativity support other authors um and also just keep adding value where i can so you know there's a lot that was learned over the last couple of years from looking at other people's businesses being part of different communities myself and seeing what they're what they're doing what i like of them and what i don't um and something that i've learned along that journey is you know it has to work for me yeah. there's no point me building a business that's going to make me miserable <laughs> Like it just doesn't make sense. So we've had conversations before where, you know, there are, there's always going to be parts of the business where it's, it's harder or it's stuff that you don't like. Like I'm not really a big fan of financial reconciliation at the end of each month. Like that could suck it, but like I do it. And, you know, sometimes you want to reach out and ask for help, but you have to accept like, it's your business. It's your responsibility apart from some of the core fundamental things, which eventually I'll be able to outsource. Um, like if you don't like something find a new way to do it or find the best way the best medium to do it Mm -hmm. um even this podcast activated authors springs off of great writer share and the format and how i run it now and everything else is very very different to great writer share more so behind the scenes because of the things that i've learned and how i now manage my time how i say no to things which i'm still working on um aren't we all yeah but if (laughs) anything the last the last three years really kind of has just been this build up to recognizing the things I'm good at, the things I'm not and where I want to go from here. So lots of, lots of lessons really. Yeah. And what is your definition of productivity now? So the broader definition of productivity, how do you increase your outputs while decreasing your inputs? How can you get more out of doing less? Mm -hmm. Um, When I first started to look at productivity, it was very much, how can I just squeeze everything out of my day? And I did that until I was dry um, Mm -hmm. and it did not end well. And now it's much more about how can I increase the amount of impact I have while decreasing the impact that will have on me, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So I'm really focused on trying to narrow down the right thing to work on Mm-hmm. because you know i i spent the first couple of years writing lots of books and that was just what i did i wrote i wrote i wrote pandemic yeah. there's not a lot of option for socializing and i'm still working on that at the minute because trying to integrate back into society like sounds dramatic but it's it's difficult especially you know um it getting back into crowds nice. and get more used to just you know seeing people on the regular yeah. I, I i am oh, finding that quite difficult yeah yeah um, <laughs> yeah so it's now become much more how do I narrow my focus? Because I was doing so much at one point in lots of different directions. And I wanted to do all these different things. And at the beginning of 2021, I essentially drew for everything up on a whiteboard, 
scrapped a load of stuff I was working on and went, where can I start? Like, what is, what is the mm. one thing to begin with? Um, and I carved that kind of path. And where I've come around to now is accepting that I'm not going to be able to do all the things that I want to do. And that's, that's okay. Cause every yes means a million plus no's. And yeah. that's a truth that I have to accept and, and be comfortable with. Um, but I will say that, you know, since officially establishing activated authors as it is back in September of, of last year, it has made it much easier to know my mission and my goal, seeing the support and what it is offering the authors in the community. It is mm-hmm. really, really rewarding to see people thriving and excelling and building community and finding friends and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, productivity for me is, well, I guess simply put, it's how can I make a life worth living by reducing how miserable I have to be. <laughs> there you go. Nice and uplifting for you. <laughs> oh, well, just give me a second. I'm just going to call bloody Oxford and Cambridge up because I need to uh, reassess. <laughs> I'll get Collins on the call as well. That's incredible. Um... <laughs> well, so, so here's the thing, like, we don't have to work 70-hour weeks no. to do good things. People who have 12 hours a week can achieve greatness. Mm-hmm. If you find the thing that is giving you the biggest push towards what you're trying to achieve and focus on it in a world that is currently filled with distractions and designed to distract us, even just, um, I heard someone say the other day, so we, we often think of like our phones as tools to help us be productive. But mm-hmm. the thing about a tool is it doesn't demand your attention. Like a hammer won't beep for you to smash a wall. No, although I have, uh, to be fair, I have. Oh, I've been there. It wasn't my... a hammer. No. <laughs> but yeah, the, the point being, we we have to acknowledge how distracting this world is. Um, I just constantly have been finding more and more how overwhelming it can be to be on multiple messaging platforms. Like I have, like I'm blessed in, in the sense of having like lots of lots of friends and people that I can talk to. At the same time, like when you get to the end of the day, if you haven't touched your notifications and you see like 100, 200 different notifications of different things, that's too much. Yeah. That's oh too much. God. And where I'm really working to is just getting up in the morning, prioritizing the thing that will move that needle forward, focusing on that phone off, distractions off, and then making it happen because one hour working focused on mm. something that means something to you will be five hours of netflix of playstation of scrolling through your phone of whatever it is um and it's it's a never-ending journey Mm. and i fight with it constantly and i'm i'm by no means perfect um like i know what to do but sometimes you know the system beats you um but yeah it's just i want to i just want to live a happy life i just want to enjoy what i do i want to have the time to take walks to see family to see friends to work and help people but in a way in which i'm not giving myself a heart attack (laughs) (laughs) amazing okay well I've got one more question for you um before we round off and I think you know what's coming possibly because I'm an Aries (laughs) 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 there's no point me asking the goddamn question now you just ruined your own podcast congratulations (laughs) before we um ask about where we can uh, find out more about you and Activated Authors and all that good stuff. Daniel Wilcox, why do you 
right? And why do you help others to do the same? I think both answers will kind of sink within themselves. There, there is something incredibly cathartic about writing, about having a safe place to capture thought and idea. Um, I remember going through quite a messy breakup back in university. And this was, this was before I kind of even conceptualized possibly writing fiction and things. And I found myself late one night at my laptop, just writing down, just, it was kind of um, flow of consciousness. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Um, of how I was feeling, all the different things. It was a piece that was never finished, but in, in a way that's what made it finished. Um, mm -hmm. But writing just was the channel to help me capture the pain and, and the heartbreak and everything else was, that was going on. Um, and even now, like short stories for me, it's just, I, I love playing with words. I love trying to better myself each time I write a story. I love reading stories and then going like, oh, this is amazing. Like, this is where I'm trying to get to. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, entertaining readers, there's, there's nothing more magic about that. But I think the reason I help other writers is I've seen, I've seen a lot of people's fires die. Mm. I've seen a lot of people fall victim to becoming what they believe the world wants them to be mm -hmm. and the way that the world, quote, should be. And then I see these people years and years later returning back to the page, returning back to the instrument, returning back to whatever creative outlet it is and coming alive again and rediscovering a part of themselves that they've lost. Like I've got a friend who was an incredible singer at school, played music, hasn't touched an instrument in years because of life. Yeah. Um, always talks about it. And they've recently returned to their instrument and really found that happiness. And it's so difficult to explain to people that don't get it, what that feels like. Mm -hmm. And so if I can help people understand that there's a place for them to be them in a safe environment, whether that's expressing through poetry, through journaling, through writing, whatever it is, then why not give that to people? Because that is one of my tools for life. <laughs> beautiful okay so before we do the outro please tell all the wonderful people that are listening and potentially watching how can they find out more about you and more about activate authors so everything that i do is over at danielwilcox.com uh, which is w-i-l-l-c-o-c-k-s which you know you've got my books on there my podcasts bits on how i help writers but then if you're a writer and you want to find out all about Activated Authors, then head over to activatedauthors.com and everything that we've got going on is over there. And by all means, I also offer 15-minute um, free consultations where you literally just, no charge at all, you can sit down with me for 15 minutes, we can chat about your writing and what your next steps are and, and take it from there. So yeah, those two places. Awesome. And I would just quickly like to say as well, because I've had one of these um, consultations a while back um, and the thing that I found the most impressive because when people say like no pressure there's still pressure um but actually I tried to sign up to the thing that I was having a consultation for on the call and you you just refused to let me make the decision on the call mm -hmm. so I just wanted to put that out there because a lot of the time when you hear like no obligation you're like yeah of course there isn't yeah I try I really try to be what you see is what you get so yeah if you jump on the call expect this time <laughs> <laughs> that's what you get awesome i am now going to seamlessly 
segue into the outro. It's nice to know you've been watching these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I would like to say a big thank you to Dan for joining me on the podcast today. A massive thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. And as always, if you are looking to level up your writing and activate your author career, then head on over to activatedauthors.com to find out all about our community, our resources, and everything else that we've got got going on. And we oh, will yeah. see you next week. Well, he will. I probably won't. <laughs> see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Activate your energy. Thank you.